0: Welcome to Beyond the Labyrinth, one of several places where I, Hannah Gratian, and my co-beagler Alfred Reeves Wissen engage in the labyrinthine pursuit of questions of meaning. See what else we're up to, including A Push of the Pendulum, Alfred's fantasy novel, A Bookful Bequest, the collection of my reflections on classic novels, and Keeping It All the Year, a blog inspired by Dickens' A Christmas Carol. You'll find it all at dedalia.net.
1: Today we're going to beagle about in a topic, plague, that seems very close to home, but at the same time will take us far and wide, all the while showing us the universality of human experience. We're going to explore the eerie similarities of Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year, published in 1722 about the last round of Black Death in London in 1665, and our own experience today with COVID. Then, in an attempt to plumb what it all means, we will turn to Hermann Hesse's 1930 novel, Narcissus and Goldman, with its exploration of creativity and its chapter in which the primary character wanders in medieval Germany struck by a plague. So to get us started, we want to look at Defoe and actually Samuel Pepys as well, um, uh, who, who was a, a, an actual contemporary of the 1665 plague, lived through it. Um, and, and the reason we want to look at these things is, of course, the last year and a half that we've all in, in, in our contemporary world ha- have lived through um, a modern day plague. And, and so it got us thinking about other accounts uh, about such experiences and made us start to wonder, you know, do we, you know, how much of things change? Do people change? Um, you know, how, how similar and how different are these experiences? And so Defoe's account and and Pepys's massive diary seem like good places to start. So, Hannah, you want to can you tell us a little bit about this um, since you know much more about them than I do?
0: Sure. Uh, Daniel Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year. As you said, it was published in 1722. Well, that's 57 years after the year it references, which is 1665. Um, so. So, well, I don't know exactly what's going on there. It's thought to have been based on the diary of Henry Faux, who was Daniel Defoe's uncle. But either way, it, it attempts to um, systematically describe um, that year, 1665, which was the worst of, the, of that particular plague episode. I think it ran from 1664 all the way through 1666, you know, before it was really over. But but he's trying to systematically describe it, and what is um, in one thing that's interesting about looking at Samuel Pepys's diary for that year, sixteen sixty five, is that he's actually not trying to systematically describe the the plague. What he's doing is is trying to make a living, trying to continue his career of upward mobility in london and he's trying to operate in the midst of the plague happening all around him he's no more interested in the plague than you or i are in the um pandemic we're very interested in it because we face it every day and at the same time not so interested in it because we would all like to just live our lives again peeps felt the same way and 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 so when you listen to or when you read these two books what what you find are all kinds of interesting observations. Defoe notes at the beginning that the streets are just clogged with carriages. And and Alfred, these are people leaving town. I mean, literally, you can't get a carriage. You can't get a horse. You can't cross the street because of all these people leaving town. And and then, you know, once that's happened, then then London is deserted. And Peeps notes that too. It's eerie walking through the streets because all the places that he goes and peeps life is hugely social. I mean, all day long, he goes from one place to another. He never eats a meal just with his wife. I mean, <laughs> everything they do is social everything. And so everywhere he goes, there's nobody there. And it's really, you know, quite, quite shocking and uncomfortable. Um, Defoe talks about people being quarantined, shut up yeah. as they called it. Yeah. And, and it's horrible. Because if one person in the family is thought, I, I'm going to say found to have plague, but you know, DeFoe admits that, you know, d- did they really? Well, well, to the best of somebody's knowledge, they had the plague. They shut the whole house up. And that means yeah. even the people that are still healthy are shut up with the p- people that are sick in it. And although they don't understand how contagion works, they know that it's contagious. You know, they understand that if you get close to people that have the plague, you're likely to get it. And so they shut up the sick and the healthy together and put a guard outside the door, which is, you know, we've all been in quarantine, but but we haven't had guards outside our doors. And so, you know, that's a whole drama in itself. And Defoe goes at great length about it because you have various um, escape plots, which work, you know, often People, people get out, you know, they climb out windows, they dig tunnels, they kill the guard which is really kind of sad because, you know, they were all, the, this affected in, in Defoe's time, just like in our time, it affected the poor often, worse than the better off. And so a lot of those guards were poor, you know, they were trying, trying to find some way to, to live, you know? And so, so that's kind of interesting. Being yep. shut up was deadly. Being quarantined nowadays is mostly not, right? Mostly it's not deadly.
1: Yeah, that that struck me as one of the big parallels is the not only things shutting down, but moving like today, the, the maybe the closest parallel is because we're so used to, to travel and being able to go where we want that the having having travel restrictions in place. We aren't being literally locked in our houses with guards, but we're being told you can't leave this city or, or, or the state, or if you come into this state or this country, you have to do this and do that. Um
0: and those things are, are much more formal now and in defoe's time it tend to be a bunch of people standing outside with pitchforks lot, right. not letting somebody <laughs> in you know and, right, right. and and there's a there's a lot of talk about that and of course we see that also in the novel we'll talk about later we see that in that kind of behavior in the in the Hesse book too another thing that defoe talks about is is health care being compromised and mm. of course healthcare care was a very a very different thing during the post time but Typically, if you were pregnant and having a baby, at least you had a midwife or you had your relatives help you. But he talks at great length again about women in labor who have no help at all. You know, they they go through it by themselves because their family may be dead. The midwives are gone. Any of them that are good, the ones that are left are no good, and often cause as much harm as as help. And, and of course, about babies being born with the plague. And I mean, I don't know how, I don't know whether that, that he certainly thinks that's happening. I don't know if that's how the contagion works, but babies and mothers being found the baby, you know, they're already dead almost as soon as. And so, you know, we also experienced healthcare issues. People who had surgeries were canceled.
1: Oh yeah. Elective surgery, uh, lots of Mm -hmm. things, lots of things like that, because doctor's
0: offices, I had a dentist appointment in May that they simply called me and said, it's canceled. They didn't even reschedule. I mean, it was like months later. I'm like, um, I need to have my teeth cleaned. <laughs> Can we do this now? <laughs> and then they have been cleaned. Don't worry.
1: Right. Well, th- there's a, um, the healthcare part strikes me as, um, sort of interesting. There, there's a, the, 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 I guess the original edition of this book, Defoe's book had um, illustrations and one of the illustrations or more than one maybe is of a, of a doctor of the time wearing this, this mask. And, and, and I think these are somewhat, um, these kinds of pictures, I, I'd seen them before uh, you know, this, this mask with sort of a snout on it. And and you know they they almost look like
0: it's a plague mask, yeah. Plague
1: mask, yeah. They almost look like birds. And and so it's like, what in the world? You know, why why are the and and it turns out what they did was you know they thought that they knew the plague was contagious, as you said. They didn't know how it worked, you know, the germ theory of disease was hundreds of years in the future. Yep. Um, but so what the doctors would do is they would wear these snouted masks and they would stuff the snouts with aromatic herbs, thinking that that would somehow you know filter the 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 air and keep them from getting the contagion. So you see this plague doctor with the plague mask, and of course you know we know that doesn't work. Um, but that's the becomes... talks
0: about a woman who stays healthy because she soaks a rag in vinegar and holds it in front of her face.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so people, I mean, i and I think there's some passages where he recounts kind of the, how astrology, um, became huge. Um, you know, people were turning to anything, any, any, any possible solution, anything that would, would make them feel like they had some control over the situation or what have you. And, you know, that, that makes me think of the role of science. Um, yeah. Because the same century, right, the 17th century, where the, where this plague is 1665, this is also the century of really the beginnings of modern science, and um, I mean, this is the century of Descartes and Newton and and all kinds of important figures in the in the in the creation of the of the modern scientific method, and and, and in some ways it's it's like a it's it's sort of like an arc. We, we, uh, it, it's a that century saw the birth of this idea of using reason and empirical evidence, you know, to sort of conquer nature, master and conquer nature as Descartes says. And, you know, and he, and he at least, and I think many of his contemporaries who were interested in science, they were very, very interested in health, you know, in, in, in using this new method to, uh, you know, do something about disease and to live longer and be healthier. I mean, you know, the, um, the, the living with death was something <laughs> that was was a constant. And of course, the this plague, uh, you know, made it far, far worse. And so, you know, it strikes me that it's, it's sort of, um, you know, we're living at the other end of that arc, you know, almost 400 years later. Um, and at the one, on the one hand, science has helped us bring this contagion of our time under control, um, relatively quickly. I mean, it's really kind of amazing. It's felt like a very long year and a half, but it has been as of, this is, this is. Vaccine development that fast. It's incredible.
0: Yeah. But at the
1: same time, I, I think perhaps we've stopped, perhaps we have seen similar behaviors of people, um, you know. Pursuing whatever thing they think might help, or ignoring science—you know, the politicization of science, saying, "Oh no, I, you know, I'm not going to have a vaccine, or I'm not well, going to wear a those, mask, or whatever it is."
0: Some of those cures they were pursuing were actually quite dangerous. And there's a section in Defoe yes. where he deplores this. Um, he, you know, it's it's funny because both Defoe and peeps they are, they, they don't, so, so how, I guess the question I'm thinking about is how deep, how, how low in society did the, those beginnings, how much had they penetrated at this point? So how much mm. did PEEP know what the current scientific method was, where current thought was with that? And I don't, I don't know the answer to that, but I think it's interesting because both PEEP Peeps and DeFoe are trying to reason out what makes good sense here. What is logical? What yeah. what should we do? A thinking man, an intelligent person who, who wants to live. Ba- and I think they did want evidence. What should they do? Yeah. And, and you know, Defoe talks at length about being really, really irritated and annoyed by, by the crazy people doing the crazy thing, the fortune tellers. Um, yeah. the astrologers, the astrologers yeah. all, and and driving people to do dangerous things you know but at the same time you know he acknowledges that there's a very good chance you know that this is god punishing mm-hmm. um the wicked you know and yeah. and you know i guess there's some collateral damage here i don't know what to say because he he sort of acknowledges that well actually gets a lot of people that aren't wicked too but you know, what can we say? (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't really have an answer for this, but, but it is interesting to think about you bring up, this is where the birth of the scientific method is. And these are people living through that period, trying to reason their way through what's going on because these two men we're not the kind that we're going to go run around, do the crazy things. They were right. the ones trying to find the sensible things. Although if you listen to much of peeps, you gotta laugh. I mean, he <laughs> knows the cause of every cold he gets. He, he's constantly having swellings and soreness and various parts of his body. Some of which are best left unnamed. He knows exactly what causes each one. It's hilarious. And you listen <laughs> to that and you're like, um, I don't think so <laughs> just don't <laughs> think so
1: <laughs> well th- i mean i think that's a it's a really interesting question what was the penetration of scientific reasoning and i think not very not very <laughs> i mean you know even, even someone like you know you know newton had one foot in the middle ages and one foot in, in this beginning of, of yeah. creating a new world and and just as, as just as a quick example uh you know mercury or quicksilver as they called it in the 17th century was a very common medicine yes I mean, people people yes. used quicksilver to cure "quote unquote" all kinds of things, and it was and actually what a dangerous poisoning. thing to
0: do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so <laughs>
1: I, I think the penetration is, is limited. But I mean, I remember a, a line in Defoe where he's debating whether he's going. You, you mentioned how people fled London, and he's debating to himself whether he should leave as well.
0: Yes, And yes.
1: And he finally decides, no, I'm going to stay here. And he says he's decided that he's going to cast himself on the goodness and protection of the almighty. Yes. I'm going to cast myself on the goodness and protection of the almighty. So I'm going to stay in London and you know, and this is in the midst of his reflecting on how, um, you know, it, literally the pages of this book, at least the beginning, are filled with body counts.
0: Yes. I mean, literally,
1: like in this neighborhood, they, you know, reported this many hundreds dead in this neighborhood, this, you know, day by day. I mean, it's incredible. And so he's decided, yes. I'm going to stay here in the midst of all this and cast myself on the goodness and the protection of the Almighty. And that, you know, and that really, strikes me as reminiscent of, you know, the, the, the some folks today who, who well, aren't you going to wear a mask or aren't you worried about COVID and, 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 you know, like, well, no, you know, if God wants me to get it, I'm going to get it. I mean, I've, I've heard <laughs> people say that, you know, literally. And so, so that's fascinating. I mean, here, we, I mean, it's, it's almost an exact uh, parallel and, 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 along with the sort of um, some of the, some of the quackery uh, that, that we've seen. Um, you know, and so we're we're, but we're overall, we're we're so fortunate, you know, that 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 we do have science. But I don't think science, you know, solves the problem of what all this means and what to do with it. You know, I mean, we we've lived through this. They lived through this. Some of them, yeah, anyway. Some of us haven't lived through. This. I mean, this has been a, you know, this has been a, it's been a tragedy. Um, not not at all to make light of it. But, but whether you accept science, whether, you know, whether you have decided that the scientific worldview is not how you make meaning out of the universe, um, cataclysmic events like these, you know, do raise questions of well, what the heck does it mean? What do we do with it? Um you know, because, I mean, it's astounding to, to read a, 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 an early 18th century document about the 17th century and literally read body counts. You know, I mean, he, he, he goes through the neighborhood, you know, it's incredible. So what does yeah, that mean? Is. What do you do with it? How, how do you, um,
0: you know, Well, you, and just, just a quick sideline and we need to get to that question of meaning, but you have to realize they were reading the body counts, but they were also seeing the death. Peep yes. talks. Peeps talks about heading home after dark one night and, in running through an alley and running into a dead body and he literally says thank goodness I wasn't too much upset by that but I'm not going out again at night because of it the bodies people and and Defoe goes to quite some lengths about this how many people would just they would they would not realize they were sick and they would suddenly start feeling ill this is there were several yeah. strains of plague and one of them, you would you would just start feeling ill and within a couple hours you'd be dead. He said they would walk, they'd feel ill in a store and they'd walk out into the street and sit down on a bench and, you know, an hour later they were dead and they'd be sitting there on the bench. Yeah. And so they, you know, in terms of trying to understand what it means, these people were really seeing it. We heard about the, um, what, the morgue, what were those, the morgue trucks? Yeah, in New York in City. In New York City?
1: yeah yeah
0: but even that it was pictures of a truck not not tripping over a body which is and and that was common in london they they tried very hard you know the death carts bring out your dead we all remember monty python that's actually actually pretty accurate Mm -hmm. according to defoe and they tried to do it at night but peep says at one point there were so many bodies they couldn't transport them all at night so they had to start doing it during the day and so you know so anyway looking at that had to be hard hitting oh, in terms of trying so, to
1: understand. I mean, we are, you know, you know, unless you are a, you know, a medical worker and, and, you know, and we are so thankful for them, but, you know, we, yeah. you know, we are, so we are, we are so relatively insulated from it. Yes. Uh, you know? Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, we're it's insulated
0: good. from, from this, from seeing it, Yeah. but we're not insulated from feeling the loss of the people
1: yeah,
0: and and from feeling at risk ourselves too, which is something peeps always talking about living in fear. At one point he says, you can't, you can't count on living more than two days. And he talks about making as well. And we've all experienced that piece of it too. Feeling like, should I go into this store? Can I buy these groceries? What will happen? And people being out of work and people going to work, feeling afraid. And yeah, Yeah. so we, well, especially early
1: on before, you know I think we had a really good handle on transmission and things like that I mean you know all the disinfection of surfaces which we now know is relatively unimportant um but you know there, there was that early period of in 2020 where there was you know mm-hmm. people buying up all the toilet paper you know yes. whatever your, <laughs> your your model modern analog of a contemporary analog of of, of, of the panic so yeah um well I, I it, it seems to me that the you know, this, these intense experiences raise, you know, the question of what does it mean? And also the question of, you know, is there a universality of human experience? You know, are the people in the 17th century that so different, very different from, from people in the 21st century? Um, And, and, uh, you know, I would, would of course, uh, you know, say no, um, but we, (laughs) um, but we, we, we should explore that. And, um, I mean, one, I think a connection that, that popped up for us in sort of wrestling with this was to look at a very different source, um, which is, which is fiction to be really clear. Um, this, this novel by Hermann Hesse, um, from 1930, um, Narcissus and Goldman. Um, and, and Hesse is a, was a German, uh, novelist, uh, who was born in, in Southern Germany and uh, actually immigrated to Switzerland after the Great War, after World War One, and lived the rest of his life in Switzerland um, because he was so um, upset by the by the um, rising tide of German fascism. Um, and he won the Nobel prize of, uh, in, for literature in, in the 1940s uh, for his last novel. Um, so he's a very, very well known author in, in German speaking circles. Most of his work has been translated into English in the 1960s. Um, and he was pretty in vogue uh, in, in the UK and the United States for a while. Uh, but he has this novel *Narcissus and Goldman, which is um, about. It's set in the Middle Ages. It's set in the, the 14th century um, and in Germany. So quite
0: a bit earlier than Defoe and Pepys.
1: Yes, quite a couple of centuries. It's
0: an earlier plague, right?
1: But it, but it is the Black Death. It's the same. It, it is the same um, contagion, more or less. And, and so it's, it's set in, in Germany, it's not very specific where, um, but it is in the Middle Ages. And the, the novel is essentially about these two, um, uh, basically two monks, a, a, a monk and, and an apprentice. Um, Narcissus is the, this monk who is very analytical, uh, very rational, and, and, his, and his friend Goldman, uh, initially his student is you know, sort of the opposite. He, he is, um, all about feeling and, and he, it's, he turns out to be an artist and he actually, he leaves the, the monastery where, where, where they're living because he, he realizes he needs to, he needs to sort of pursue, um, he, he had lost his mother at a very early age and he decides to sort of pursue the idea of his, of his mother and, and, he, and, and, and sort of feeling and an experience of life and not be in a cloister, not be in this sort of rational ordered, um, Situation. So he heads out and he leaves the monastery as a young man and, and wanders across medieval Germany and, and has all sorts of experiences and adventures, um, lots of love affairs, He becomes a great lover. Um, but he also becomes a sculptor, an artist, and the novel sort of traces his journey and then and then his return uh, finally at the end of the novel back back to the monastery and, and his friend. And I think the the reason we, we thought of this novel is it has a chapter in which the plague strikes and, and he, and he is confronted very, very immediately by the, by the plague. I mean, he, he takes a sort of, well, I'm just going to experience this. Like I've experienced everything else. Um, and, and so he doesn't flee it. And, and he, you know, he wanders the towns and he observes all the scenes of death and, the, and lawlessness and all the things that happen. And he just sort of absorbs them all and, and, and ultimately transmutes it into art. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, it's an interesting, another take on what do you make of this kind of, uh, contagion when the world is turned upside down, all all the things that we take for granted are swept away. And, and, and so, um, you know, we thought it was worth, uh, worth exploring. So,
0: you know, the, the thing that strikes me when you, when you look at narcissism Goldman, I mean, I feel like we, we trip over this. We can't, we can't look at them thinking about the plague without looking at that dichotomy. Yes. You know, I just I just want to start there because it bothers me. Yes, <laughs> it just really yes, bothers it's, it's, me. It's a
1: little too pat. Yep.
0: Yeah. So Narciss- narcissus Narcissus is wholly intellectual, almost wholly intellectual, although he huh. loves Goldman. He is sort of, but even that's like this problem for him. He yes. talks about that. Yes. He can't love like that. And Goldman is this wholly sensual person. Holy yes. And, um, Flaxen haired. You know, yes. Oh God. <laughs> Women cannot say no to this man. Yes, absolutely. And it's, it, and he's, he's an artist apparently at sex as, as at as, everything else. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and just, just the fact that each reflects one side of the humanity we must all be is, yeah. is tough for me. And, yes. and, and I feel like that follows us all the way through the novel. So when he's ha- at, in the plague when he's in the plague he um he's got a woman he finds a woman of course Yes, of course and he saves her you know let's yep. let's give him credit he saves her she's she's yep. I don't know what's her family
1: yeah her family was all dead or, I think and, yeah uh, and she was
0: sort of in the street not and he saves her builds a little shack so they can live out in the wilderness, which is a solution that you'll hear described or you'll read, read about in Defoe that people just moved out into the wilderness, built huts and Mm -hmm. um, basically uh, what do you call that sort of backwoods life? There's a word for it in America. Anyway. um,
1: Survivalism.
0: Well, yeah. Anyway. So, so, so he does that and takes care of her for a while. Um, And she eventually so they pick up somebody else, they've got a third yeah. person there, yep. and they have this little household set up, and she eventually says something that implies a future. I don't remember exactly yes. what it was. Yes. And that really sets Goldman off. He gets pretty upset about it.
1: Yeah, he wants to live in the moment. He, he does. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and don't you think that's a connection here between that whole sensual him being yes. a sensual yeah. being?
1: Well, I mean, the, the, yeah, the novel is full of this contrast, the rational versus the irrational, the male versus the female, the, um,
0: and how, how has it decided which one's going to be male and which one's going to be female? I mean, come on. Yeah. That's that's probably
1: the hardest one. Yeah. Although Um, it's not,
0: it doesn't that go back to Jung?
1: Oh I, I think it, yeah, it must um, I
0: mean there I mean has not a in new other idea. didn't do it all himself,
1: but oh, no, 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 yeah, this, so I was gonna get to that, I mean, this novel's drawing on a lot of things, um, yeah, but the other the other one that it the, the other contrast it pulls on is the is sort of the wanderer uh, the artist versus the settled bourgeois person you know yes there's there's there's, so there's lots of these contrasts you know rational irrational male female the wanderer the free creative artist who lives in the moment entirely in the moment as opposed to the settled person who who gives that up um in exchange for security and in fact the man that he the 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 master that he learns sculpture from Yes. He ultimately leaves him because he doesn't want to turn into this guy who, who is a gifted artist, but has become an established member of the guild and has a big house and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And Goldman looks at him and, and, and says, he's become dead. You know, I can't, I can't do this. And so he flees. And the guy just can't understand it.
0: But, you know, from a, from a, from a sort of normal human perspective, when you look at that situation, that, that bourgeois man, artist, recognized goldman you know absolutely yeah he knew what he was seeing i mean come on so he's not completely dead no no yeah yeah yeah. Yeah.
1: well so that's where i mean that's you know this whole the question of of these contrasts and you know Hesse is working them into the novel um you know how they they do come across as a bit too pat and and i think Mm -hmm. um you know for me that didn't make it Uh, less worth reading because I I think it's sort of interesting what he's doing with it. So, you know, he's drawing to a great extent on, on actually on Friedrich Nietzsche, um, the late 19th century German uh, philosopher, quite, quite controversial thinker uh, who was, was very much trying to explode kind of the complacent uh, late 19th century European uh, thinking that, that, you know, sort of rationalism explains everything and, and science and, and, um, that, you know, we, 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 we're so confident, we've got everything figured out. And, and, you know, there's sort of this universal reason. And Nietzsche was sort of like, ha, you know, that's, that's just not the case. Um, and, and he wrote an early piece, actually, I believe it was his doctoral dissertation, um, uh, called The Birth of Tragedy, in which he was, he was doing a study of ancient Greek uh, thought and, 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 and drama. And, and basically he, he makes this contrast that, that Hesse is picking up on. And, and he talks about the Apollonian and the Dionysian. And the Apollonian, the god Apollo represents reason, right? It represents um, the abstract, the civilized, um, the assertion of self and, and kind of the rational construction of ideas on, on the one side. And then on the other side um, is the Dionysian, the god Dionysus or Bacchus in the Roman tra- you know, translation, who is the god of, um, you know, wantonness, um, you know, the um, sort of the... Uh, um, uh the, the sort of the, the the encapsulates the the experience of the loss of self and unity um intoxication mm. the reconciliation of humans and nature um sort of finding the original unity of all things by losing oneself and and the ecstasy of a dionysian festival and of drinking and that Just kind of sounds
0: thing. very much like what we were talking about last time with doors of perception yes yeah
1: yeah exactly. masculine trips. So the, uh-huh. yeah so the loss of subjectivity as opposed to the apollonian which is all about the subjective individual rationally understanding everything and and Nietzsche, you know, sort of argued that these two things, um, were sort of brought together in in Greek, the Greek art kind of oscillated between the two, and that in tragedy they, they 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 kind of come together. But his his big point, I think, was that. Um, platonic thought represented by Socrates, um, was kind of, a it destroys the Dionysian. It, it you know, it, it is so rational. It's, it's trying to, um, you know, it's kind of theoretical man's scientific delusion of being able to understand being. And he even, he even calls Socrates the mystagogue of knowledge, which is a, which is a hilarious <laughs> the mystagogue of knowledge. Um, and I think Nietzsche's, you know, trying to oppose that with the Dionysian and say, Dionysian and saying, you know, yeah, our lives are finite, we die, we're gone, there's nothing we can do about that. Um, but that by surrendering to the irrational, you know, we, we can connect with the eternal life, with the life of everything, with the life of being, and that can give us joy, despite our own suffering. And, um You know, even if even in the face of death and suffering, tragedy and and deep feeling can help us affirm life itself, even if it's not our own life. And so I, I, you know, not to get too much into that, you know, but that's just a quick uh, summary. But but I think Hesse is drawing on that. Right. He's got these two characters, Narcissus and Goldman, and Goldman is the Dionysian. And Narcissus yes. is the Apollonian. And so Goldman's yes. life is this embracing of living in the moment. He, he talks about how death, how, how, about, how suffering and, and ecstasy or death and ecstasy are somehow the same, you know. And, yes. and, and even in the midst of plague, like he goes, there's one this really vivid scene where he, he wanders into this house where they first discover there's plague. And, and literally, just like you were describing, um, there's an entire household full of dead people. Like yes. each room, there's a body. Like people just were opening. Because there was no
0: one there to bury them. Everybody right. was dead. Yep. Yeah.
1: And yep. and he and he finds a child sort of sprawled in a doorway. And 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 he stays there and just looks at this for, for you know minutes and minutes and minutes. And and until his companion who's waiting outside is in a panic. And 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 his companion is horrified. You know, he says, Go in and look. And he comes running out and you know, and, and he says, No, he says something like, This is not terrible, it's real you know, he has <laughs> this artist, like, you know, this, and, and so he just wanders through this horror and it just absorbs it. Um, and so, and so, yeah, the, the novel is, um, it's got these types and, and it feels a little artificial. Like nobody is that rational or irrational, but, but I think that's what Hesse is trying to do with it. He's trying to play out this, this, this contrast and, and, and maybe towards the end of the novel, he tries to, he, he tries to sort of, um, you know, bring it together and whether he does that successfully is another
0: question. It's a question. Yeah. It's a big question. And I, and I think it's one that he, he continued to wrestle with, didn't he? I mean, yes. in his other novels, I mean, and I think that's a big question. Um,
1: yeah. He um, his early novels uh, in fact, were very much about he it reflected his own life. He, he, he was a pretty successful novelist and really struggled with the contrast between being an artist and being a settled bourgeois person. He, he, he had married and had children and his, his wife had a mental breakdown and, and he struggled with sort of holding those two sides of his life together. And then um, in the middle of World War I, he underwent psychoanalysis with one of Jung's um, protégés, Ah. And, then, and then after that, his novels change very much. They they become very much about exploring these, the Jungian archetypes, about exploring these ideas of Nietzsche. So if you read Damien or you read um, Steppenwolf, uh, which came before Narcissus and Goldman, or you read Narcissus and Goldman, I mean th- these themes are all there. Of, of the. Of the yeah.
0: uh, it seems to me that in um, in Narcissus and Goldman the influence of Jung has to be about as strong as the influence of Nietzsche. I mean, all that stuff about the mother yes. um, and, you know, we, we, we can't help, I guess, always getting back to suspension of disbelief, but yes, <laughs> that this whole thing. So, so what's, what launched Goldman on the journey was that Narcissus said, did you forget something about your childhood? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> and the kid's like, Oh yeah, I had a mother. And that changes everything because because yes. his mother had been disreputable. She left his she, she left his father, and his father tried to make him become a monk to atone for her. Yes, all sort of in the back scene, and he and he managed to block the whole thing out. Repression. And, yes. 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 But but bringing that to light again changed everything, and I'm like, really? Yeah, really. And so yeah. he ends up, you know, I mean, it took a little while for this all to happen, but he ends up, you know, leaving the monastery, going through all of these sensual experiences, both the, the sex life he had and the experiencing the plague and becoming an artist. He goes through all of that and it all keeps being about a mother figure. Yes. I mean, it keeps Finding returning the to that. Yes. And my gosh, at the end, it's, it's, it's the obsession. And I mean, Alfred, I'll let you talk a little bit about the, Jung, the, the Jungian background to all this, but just as a reader, I'm like, oh come on, <laughs> <Yeah>. come on! <laughs> it can't yeah. be all about a mother figure, and and also the mother takes in. You talked about this a second ago. The mother takes in the ecstasy and the death, the pleasure and the pain. Yes, it's yes. all one. And well, yeah, we can't get through life without experiencing both. That's for sure. But he sure does make it sound like it's all okay. And I think when you're in the depths of of, of death and illness and suffering, it's not all okay. So anyway, yeah. here, talk to us a yeah, little well, bit about Jung here.
1: Well, it's almost, yeah. um, it's interesting. I mean, it's almost sort of Buddhist in the fact that Narcissus is, is able to be on the one hand to deeply feel all these things and at the other hand to to be detached from those feelings and look at them and say, Oh, well, that's interesting. I'm feeling this, you know, and, and it, and it connects immediately to his ability to be an artist. I mean that like he, when he discovers that he wants to carve, he becomes a wood carver.
0: So we're talking about Goldman, not Narcissus. Yeah. Yeah. Goldman.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, Yeah. you know, he, he goes and studies with this, with this master in the town and he he learns the skills and he, and he carves a statue of St. John, who is of course modeled on Narcissus. When he's finished, he actually says, okay, it's, it's, you know, again, it's time to go on the road because he's empty. He has no more images to carve. Like, like he's stored up a certain amount by having all these experiences you're talking about being in the midst of suffering and feeling. And, and, and then he, he, he carves, he puts it all into the statue and then He's empty. And so he has to go back on the road. And that's when he encounters the plague and he sort of fills up again but mm-hmm. t- even deeper. You know, all these terrible, terrible experiences. I mean, you know, he yeah. he commits murder and self-defense. He has he has continues to have these sexual experiences. He 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 sees so much death. He he, you know, it's just and he sees, you know, pogroms, he you know, he sees all this terrible, just terrible, terrible things.
0: Oh yeah, he meets and, and, he meets a Jewish woman whose yes. family was burned to death. Yes. In I their mean, house, I think, or yeah, in, it's, it's in a building. Horrible. Yeah,
1: and and and, but but he's at the same time, he's he's sort of filling up his reservoir uh, to create to create, you know, and, and so at the end of the novel, he makes another towards the end, he makes another statue and that that's sort of and he could only make it because he had all these experiences. But it does it, it ultimately goes to this mother idea. And and Jung, Carl Jung was, a, you know, a contemporary of Sigmund Freud, um, who's, uh, you know, probably probably the more famous and, you know, I think to a great extent, both of them at this point, or, you know, they were working in the late 19th, early 20th centuries, their theories have, to a great extent have been discredited, but what they shared was, a, was an understanding of, of, you know, kind of the development of, of psychoanalysis as a tool, that there's things going on in the subconscious mind that are keys to our, to our health. And I think that we, we very much retain, but where Jung differed very much from Freud is Jung was open, much more open, to human philosophical and religious experience and thought. You know, Freud was famously, you know, not just an atheist, but a, but a you know, kind of what I would call a reductionist. I mean, he very famously reduced all of human experience down to the drive for sex and the drive for self-destruction. And like everything comes back to that. And then, you know, it's very kind of limiting, I, I would argue. Um,
0: equally impossible to believe if you ask right. me, yes, those yeah. of us that actually live in the world.
1: Right, right. But Jung was much, you know, Jung came up with this whole theory of the of the archetypes that there are these concepts, these ideas, um, maybe maybe myths that that all human beings share throughout human history, and that they're they're in our subconscious mind. They're sort of universal ideas. And that you know that seems really hard to to prove. but clearly, um, you know Hesse was taken with this idea. And so I think the the idea of the mother, um, you know, the idea that he lost his mother at a young age. She, she left, she left his, his family. And not only did he lose her physically, but his father then actively repressed all contact and memory and relationship with her. And then so he spends his entire life trying to get back to home, get back to that mother. So he's, you know, trying to, trying to find that archetype, so to speak. Um, and, and, and it's interesting at the end, I think he's unable to do it right. He, he, he dies in peace, not having, made another I think another statue
0: yeah well that statue that he was trying to make at the end wasn't that the mother
1: well he he successfully makes one and then he he was going to okay. start another and he, and he okay. doesn't do it in fact okay. he goes back on the road and that sort of ends ends, ends badly not not to give too much away yeah. but I, I I think um I mean what, what maybe what's so interesting about all this I mean I'm thinking of our poor readers where are they going um or our poor listeners um but <laughs> uh but you know the, well, I think what's so fascinating about this is this experience, this terrible experience of of plague, of death, of contagion. Hessa, and it's and that's not the the whole novel is not about that. That's just one hefty chapter, but it's you know it's just one part of this journey for, for Goldman. But but nonetheless, it is an important one because it's so much confrontation with death. But what he does, what he argues is all these experiences of life, right, channel into creativity. And and that sort of makes me think, you know, this this year of 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 COVID, um, you know, we're sort of confronted with a choice. I mean, when 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 life goes off the rails, you know, when nature asserts itself, you know, and reminds us that human beings do not, in fact, control everything, you know, what then? Too bad
0: Descartes. Eh? Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, what then do we do? Right? Do do we? Do we um, become lawless? Do we set aside all of the conventions of society? Do we, you know, uh, has to, uh, you know, Goldman sees these scenes of, of back basically, of people just, you know, to heck with it, you know, um, let's make merry for tomorrow we die, and that's what that that's what they're doing. They're, you know, they're drinking and carousing and carrying on because they figured, well, they're going to die tomorrow. What difference does it make? You know, is is that the route we take, or is the route we take to to sort of if, 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 you know, we are taking advantage of what science has given us this ability to, okay, we understand the, the, this, this disease. And if we take these steps, we, you know, we, we can be safe, but our lives are on hold. We're all living virtually. We're not going to work We're you know, do we take this as an opportunity for self-reflection and for sorting out who we are and what we want to do? And, you know, I think there's an awful lot of that has been going on in the last well, you know year.
0: Yeah. And um I mean, there's been evidence of it everywhere. I mean, just you know, try to buy herb seeds. Try to yes. buy yeast. Right. Try to buy beans. I mean, people are gardening for right. the first time ever. People are eating. This is the thing I don't understand. I actually, had a moment when I was in the grocery store looking for a certain kind of bean, and they were completely sold out. And I'm like, what did these people eat before the pandemic? What did they eat? Because now,
1: <laughs> processed food. It's yeah. All
0: beans. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and so, so clearly people are in their hunkering down, they are exploring some things they haven't explored before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like, um, it seems like what a, what a contagion like this does is it pushes us to this liminal point. You know, we're at this limit of normal experience, and so then what do you do? You know, do you say, "Well, it's all meaningless," and just, Woo, you know, we do whatever. Uh, you know, or or do we turn inward and and think about, okay, well, what am I doing? What what do I actually want to do? You know, um, it's probably jump started a million midlife crises. I mean, you know, <laughs> but the. You know, think, I guess things are, are 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 sort of getting back to normal now. But I, but I would I would hate for us to, you know, again, not not that I would ever ask for for a plague, but I would hate for us to lose the opportunity it you know presented us of of for self-examination for for thinking about what it means.
0: Well, and for for maybe developing some sides of ourselves that we haven't. I mean, if we want to look at if we if we want to take a dichotomy here. To, to be working on some of those things that we wouldn't have done normally. I mean, the creative things that people have done. It'd be really a shame if it's all set aside.
1: Yeah, it's, again, the novel has, again, maybe a bit too pat, a bit frustrating, these dichotomies of, of rational, irrational, and, you know, um, Apollonian, Dionysian. Uh, but it, it does, um, you know, it does it does raise that interesting question of does life have to be all organized and we're in control. And, you know, which I think off all too often, I think in the contemporary world, we, we assume that is, that is the narrative. You know, we, we've built this massive consumer culture that gives us exactly what we want and we can plan ahead and we can control events to such a great extent. And then that, that opposite extreme of, you know, live in the moment, um, you know, do what you feel is that great line from the blues blues brothers, do what you feel We keep both feet on the wheel. Um, the, you know, <laughs> these are, these are, these, do they have to be such extremes? And, and, and I, I, and I think you're right that the novel, it it feels too pat, but I also think Nietzsche was aware or not Nietzsche, excuse me, Hesse was aware of that. I mean, he, he was, he was sort of doing it consciously.
0: Yes, Uh, I know. And there's, there's a big question about whether, I mean, it's, (laughs) I don't know. Certainly we use novels to explore ideas. Certainly we, we want to do that, but then again, is there a message there and should there be a message there? And is that what a novel's for that? Those, those questions sort of pop up in my mind as I read this is, is it too contrived, but that aside, I think, you know, we're, we're sort of in what you've just been saying about modern culture. I think there's a thread here that we've pursued in other episodes of this podcast which is the dissatisfaction we tend to feel yes and and you know even though most of us don't have an electric monk as we discussed <laughs> last time to help us right. believe there are, and even though many of us are very very satisfied with the things that we can get right i mean yeah. at the same time we we often find that it's hollow. We have moments anyway where we yeah. feel that, and I think the pandemic has sort of brought some of that to the surface because we haven't been able to have as much of the stuff. We haven't been able to go out and eat. We ha- you know there's just all yeah. those things. So I feel like they that that sense of loss of meaning yeah is probably one of the drivers for some of what people have been doing. You know some of the creative outlets here
1: well yeah because again we seem to do this every time so i'll go ahead and do it um do you it know, the notion of myth um that is you know the the the, the, the dominant myths of western culture have be, have begun or in fact have faded away and and people are you know need they need myths and so they're creating their own or they're finding other ones and and um but when again, when you get into this into this liminal situation where your your society, not just you, but society is pushed to its limits, and we look and see how, how easily things break down and how thin the veneer of civilization actually is, you know, I think that raises the question of, of meaning and 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 myth. And Nietzsche has this great uh, passage in uh, The Birth of Tragedy where he says and this is and this is in the late 19th century he's writing this, mind hey. you, right? He says, yeah. what is revealed in the immense historical need of this dissatisfied modern culture, the gathering <laughs> up of countless other cultures, the consuming desire to know, if not the loss of myth, the loss of the mythic homeland, of the mythic maternal womb.
0: And this is Nietzsche, who, this who is, Nietzsche. is often called the ultimate nihilist, too.
1: Right. And, and you know, yeah. so I don't think yeah. he was a nihilist. I, yeah. mean, I, I think no. he was just saying the world we have created is meaningless. We have to create new meaning. We have to find new meaning. Of course, ironically, he mentions, you know, uh, the, he uses that maternal image again, yeah. um, which maybe that's where Hesse got it. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. But, well, maybe, uh, may, maybe to, to close, uh, you know, a, a quote from the novel would be, would be good to sort of bring all this together because I, I think that Again, if the contrasts are too pat, I, I think Hessen knew about it. And, and very towards the end, you know, Goldman is sort of um, f- floundering around mentally, struggling yeah. with everything that he's lived and experienced and been through and, and his desire to create and, and, you know, chaos and order. And, you know, how do you put all this together? And, and, and he says, Ah, life made sense only if one achieved both, only if it was not split by this brittle alternative to create without sacrificing one's sense for it, to live without renouncing the nobility of creating. Was that impossible?
0: And we leave our listeners with that thought. (laughs) Don't forget to visit Dedalia.net where you can follow our podcast and see what's new with our many projects. And look for Beyond the Labyrinth anywhere you listen to podcasts so you can join us next time. When Alfred will talk about A Push of the Pendulum, his fantasy novel for young adults. Look for the novella on dedalia.net.